Welcome to 49. My name is Judd Devermont. I'm the director of the AFCA program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. I was the National Intelligence Officer for Africa and worked at the National Security Council. And I'm Nicole Willett. I'm Chief of Staff at the Open Society Foundation and, like Judd, have served at the National Security Council as well as the U.S. State Department and Senate Foreign Relations. This podcast has everything you need to know about U.S. policy towards Sub-Saharan Africa. What happened in the past? What should the Biden administration do? Plus, we promise to deliver the goods in 15 minutes or less, one country at a time. This episode is about Botswana, and we are joined by our friend Michelle Gavin, Senior Fellow for Africa Studies at this Council on Foreign Relations, and former Senior Director for Africa at the NSC, and U.S. Ambassador to Botswana. Judd, break it down for us with a quick recap of U.S. policy towards Botswana. Okay, I'm nervous to capture uh, entire country's policy uh, with the U.S. in just a couple seconds, but here it goes. It took us about five years to actually have a resident ambassador in Akhabaroni, the capital. And when that ambassador was asked many years later, what are our interests in Botswana? He said, what are our interests? I wish I knew. But we actually had some really important dynamics, important sort of relationships. I would say before the end of apartheid in South Africa, it was really about Botswana as a frontline state, a country that opposed apartheid, but it had strong economic links to its southern neighbor. And so it did suffer from these episodic raids by South African security services. It was a refuge for ANC and other liberation movements. And the United States sort of pushed Botswana at different places to be more aligned with its approach, which happened to be supportive of the South African government. The other couple of elements in this relationship was investment in the diamond sector, in the tourism sector. It became a democracy darling even before the 1990s. Secretary Schultz, who was Reagan's Secretary of State, actually loved Botswana, said he was a big fan. And then we get to uh, the changes in the 90s with the end of apartheid and the introduction across the continent with multi-party democracy. And U.S. government really saw Botswana as this uh, signature partner, uh, an important ally in the fight against AIDS and HIV. Oftentimes, Botswana was asked to take a much larger role in regional problems, including when it came to Zimbabwe, and we had a strong partnership around conservation. There has been a desire for Botswana to do more on peacekeeping and other issues, but I hope we'll talk about that as we get into the episode. So, Michelle, this is just an opportunity to say what we did right or what we did terribly wrong. What are some of the things that we should sort of illuminate for our uh, audience about some of the policy in the past? Well, I think that, you know, Botswana uh, presents this kind of unique opportunity as an African partner because they're the Venn diagram of shared interests and values has a huge section of overlap, bigger than you find in lots of other places. And then there's something a bit extraordinary about Botswana's own development trajectory, right? Going from the bottom of, of most development indices at independence, right, to the upper middle income country that it is today and doing all that while managing to say a stable democracy. So there's a lot to be learned from Botswana. I think sometimes we've maybe failed to take advantage of these kind of unique attributes, right? And this idea that we can do a lot of learning there. It's a great place when our partners agree to try out new ideas. I, I also think we've fallen a bit short 
in that Botswana finds itself often feeling that it's punished for good performance, right? Because it's had economic success, it's not eligible for certain kinds of uh, U.S. government assistance and programming. And that's a, a frustration that we rarely do much to address besides saying, yes, it's too bad. One of the things that I love, Michelle, that happened actually in the 1970s that I just want to highlight here because it's important for as we talk about any of the countries over this series is that when the president of Botswana, Masire, met with uh, President Ford, they talked about U.S. politics. They talked about how was Ford doing ahead of this election in the primaries. And that was sort of what I loved about that. I'm going to call it a success is is treating African partners as politicians, as political animals and understanding that like we want to have this conversation about U.S. politics as much as we want to have it about African. But I digress. I think the more important part here is about U.S. strategy towards Botswana. Michelle, what would you recommend to the Biden administration? I would absolutely recommend that they think about Botswana, right, as kind of this flagship partner for developing an idea about what we want our bilateral relationships to look like in the region when they're not about a massive development assistance agenda. This is what we should actually be striving toward, right, with a bunch of of other countries. So I think that having some frank discussions about Botswana's priorities, which are job creation, as well as the health priorities we have a long history of partnering together on and the conservation issues would go a long way. And, you know, there are some areas that we've left unexplored that I think could have real dividends for the U.S., Botswana and the rest of the world. Uh, which is another kind of piece of this bilateral relationship that I think is important. When I think about big successes in the past, I think not just about our partnership in combating HIV AIDS, which is still a huge problem in Botswana. It's still one of the top three countries in terms of prevalence rate in the world. We have done research with Botswana, with with scientists there, with their research oversight board, with their ministry of health, with buy-in from their local leaders over decades that is saving lives all around the world. It's saving lives in America, it's saving lives in Indonesia right now, both in terms of pre-exposure prophylaxis and combination prevention, right? Botswana has really been at the forefront of this scientific partnership. There are other kinds of partnerships we could explore. One area that I think is really important is in water conservation, right? Most of Botswana is Kalahari Desert. And climate change is bringing more frequent and intense droughts, as as well as sometimes unexpected rainfall and flooding. But, you know, working together with local and international engineers, regulators, real estate developers, people from the agricultural sector, which is still important in Botswana culturally, if not economically, and really thinking about how you maximize water conservation and create and build the cities and infrastructure uh, for water scarcity. This could have tremendous gains, I think, for all of us, including for the U.S. private sector. Nicole, you know how to work the interagency. How do we make some of Michelle's big ideas actually work, particularly if it's a country that's already seen as a success? So how do we give it the love and attention it deserves, but then build these important partnerships that Michelle laid out? How does a policymaker navigate and focus on Botswana when Nigeria is going to take a lot of their time or Somalia or Ethiopia. Working up interagency love for Botswana, I think, uh, is a great job. And I hope that there's someone well-placed 
hopefully in the NSC, frankly, um, where directors are divided up among portfolios who can spend a little bit of their time and energy focused on this. Like Michelle says, the Venn diagram of partnership hasn't been fully exploited. And I mean that in the best way. When it comes to Botswana, and I agree that there's a lot that we can do. And there's some really prescient opportunities, I think, in which we might be able to do more. So there's obviously the big democracy summit coming up, much debate about what that will look like, what it means. But it seems to me it would be a huge miss not to have Botswana feature in that. I mean, I don't want to say that Botswana is perfect. It still is dominated by a single party primarily. It, of course, like every nation, has some real human rights issues that need to um, continue to be monitored, media freedom, LGBT discrimination real problems for the indigenous San people. All of that remains the case. But I can tell you that the most boring election monitoring mission I was ever on was in Botswana, where I sat very placidly in a lawn chair with many, many, many other people from Botswana in their lawn chairs waiting for voting to open and then conclude. So I think it's a place where we really do want to take what we know is stable and highlight that and certainly have it be part of the conversation. We know at a Democracy Summit, there's likely to be a lot of other participants who don't necessarily have their act even as remotely together. So I think I think that's worth some conversation. With regard to Michelle's point about climate, absolutely. We know this is a huge priority for this administration and the ways in which water is so critically factored into that in Botswana and Southern Africa, but also all over the continent, GERD, et cetera. So I really think pulling other other voices into our climate conversations that aren't the ones that always dominate, so that would include Botswana, could be really interesting in terms of not only strengthening the bilateral relationship by signaling that importance, but really actually supporting ideas that come from the continent in terms of how to to deal with some of these challenges. And then finally, uh, with regard to economic development, I mean, I agree with Michelle, this is a country that has done a lot right and still faces some really significant challenges. I mean, their experience with HIV AIDS alone and the current challenges that the whole world faces with regard to COVID, I suspect that there's some interesting lessons learned there that we should be talking about. But the bridge, of course, ideally is to economic development, which you know supports the region, supports young, young people in Botswana and elsewhere, and would in theory support U.S. trade. I will note just briefly that I think it was this week that the Kazungala Bridge opened between, so this is a new rail bridge, a rail and road bridge between Zambia and Botswana. And I believe it just opened this week after some financing from both the Japanese and the Africa Development Bank. So that is exciting, right? We have new pathways for goods and services, new ways in which Southern Africa is connecting to each other. And I think as this administration looks to double down on economic relationships with Africa, which we're hearing through Prosper Africa is the goal. I think engaging with Southern Africa now that there's additional opportunity would probably make a lot of sense. So all in all, a lot of stuff that continues to overlap with what the Biden administration says is important to them and bringing in Botswana means a fresh voice. And putting Botswana in a conversation that doesn't have anything to do with Africa sometimes. Yeah. Right? Like, this is how we treat African countries as equal partners is by not siloing them in just African conversations. I think, Nicole, your point about the summit was great. But Masisi, the president, has, I think he's self-quarantined himself five times. I mean, talking about modeling good behavior when it comes to COVID. So don't look for just the Africa opportunity. Look for the global opportunity to bring Botswana in the conversation and then be unafraid to talk about the problems that it has around corruption or human rights abuses in the same breath. That's so important. You are so right, Judd. And I would just say, in, in addition to the kind of public health behavior signaling, 
right? What President Massisi is also signaling is that the rules apply to everyone, which is an incredibly powerful idea, right? It's powerful in our society and it's something you have to fight for and model um, and it's powerful there too. So Michelle, do you have one big idea or a crazy idea, anything outside the box to put on the table as we think about the way forward between the United States and Botswana? So my water conservation center of excellence isn't crazy enough. All right. <laughs> Go bigger, Michelle. Go bigger. I do think we should take another run at thinking about Botswana's potential participation in peacekeeping missions and peace enforcement around the world, uh, right? Not just on the continent. It is a tremendously professional and impressive military. And what getting to yes is going to require is, as Judd suggests, involving Botswana in the broader global conversation about peacekeeping reform, which we often think of in the context of making sure the big donors to the peacekeeping budget sit down and, and think it through. But if you, if you want them to engage, right, they have to have a role in sort of setting the parameters and mandates and, and rules of the game. Botswana is a place that cares a lot about rule-governed participation in anything. And so I, I do think that thinking much bigger about sort of the, the upstream nature of that partnership in terms of getting to agreement on what these missions might look like would go a long way rather than around the margins trying to free up their capacity with some conservation assistance. The theory for a long time has been, well, so much of the BDF is deployed in a kind of a, a counter poaching mission because of the importance, right, of wildlife for their tourism economy. They don't have capacity, but I think it's a lot bigger and more philosophical than that. And we do need to take seriously countries like Botswana as stakeholders in the kind of broader reforms uh, that too often are decided in a different room and then we come to them and ask them to participate. Can I paraphrase? We need to think big about small countries. Sure. All right. This is your last question, Michelle. If you opened up the paper or your web browser in five years, what would success look like for U.S. policy in Botswana? I would be reading stories about an exciting joint venture between maybe a, a company from Arizona, where I grew up and where we care a lot about water conservation, right? And a, a company in Botswana who are, are now uh, moving out into the Sahel with their new tech and making things uh, better, you know, beyond the two of us. I think that uh, I would read about Botswana participating in peacekeeping and making some kind of uh, flagship contribution to this broader movement to push back against authoritarianism by continuing to do what they've been doing, but getting a little more backup and support from the U.S. and the rest of the international community when they articulate the values you know, in the, the AU charter, even in SADC's founding documents around civil and political rights, it would be nice if they didn't just hear, you know, sort of polite applause, but got some more robust backup singers. Well, that's the show. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and check out our analysis at csis.org backslash Africa. Thanks.